What's up, friends? I'm Candace Kelly, and welcome to episode 28 of the Mental Cement Podcast, the show where we teach you how to master your mindset in order to live the life that you want to live. Today, we're diving in with part two of our interview with the Chris Elmar, founder of the $1.4 billion empire, Avid Exchange. And he's going to share with us the two things that you can do to improve your selling, as well as why being a beginner may be your biggest advantage in business. So without further ado, the hilarious Chris Elmore. We're talking about sales, and I know one of your philosophies is that we're all salespeople, right? That's right. To be good in business, you have to be comfortable with sales. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your philosophy that those who win in sales are those who take the most action. Well, uh, you know, uh, one of my favorite, just, you know what I love about your podcast? Can I say it? Sure. (laughs) You know what? Have you ever noticed that in your introductions, that just about every introduction has some kind of KPI and some kind of number. Have you ever noticed that? I don't think I have. Yeah, just about every, I was going to ask you, is that natural or is that something? But you, you'll introduce someone and you'll say, and this person can improve their return on investment by 150% or can do this by 60%. And so I'm a big fan of that. I'm a big fan of those numbers also. Obviously, it's natural to you. So it's a gift. Tell everyone on this podcast that you're gifted in that way but what i like to tell about salespeople is i like to give them a perspective about our country and the perspective is that millionaires in this um in this country um less than one half of one percent of the millionaires in this country are entertainers athletes and actors combined so the So the people who we look at, especially athletes, my favorite athlete question is, you know, uh, are you, you know, what do you, what do you think about? Are you holding out for money? And they always say money's no object. And that's code for I'm going to get paid regardless, you know, so I'm not, I'm going to go move on to other things. But the vast majority of millionaires in the United States are salespeople. And uh, over 80% of all CFOs, I mean, CEOs in companies started as a salesperson. And there, you know, you go back to this, uh, this, this notion of, of selling and who's, what selling is. If, if, if you grasp really good selling, and, you know, selling is action for sure. You know, it's, it's um, I think I said in the conference, the two things that salespeople do uh, wrong is, one, they always sell on why they sold the why they're sold and the salesperson opinion doesn't matter at all. It's, it's really the opinion of the customer that you really have to have. By the way, we have some language about um, low hanging fruit, slam dunks, no brainer. That's all language that the salesperson has figured out for the customer that he or she should buy what he or she has. You know, that's, that's language that says that the salesperson is selling on why they were sold. Here's why you should do this. Don't be an idiot. It's a no-brainer. It's a slam dunk. But remember, it's not your opinion. It's the customer's opinion that's the most important. And the second thing is, I think it was something that you had mentioned, hopefully, is that the second thing that salespeople do is their activity is, is way too low. And one of the people are always trying to figure out why Avid is so successful. And it's that reason right there is that when we were five people 
in a single room, by the way, with a table and no chairs. We didn't have enough money for chairs, uh, but we had laptops. We had our priorities. <laughs> and the one thing that separated that group of people from other groups of people is that if a normal person would make, say, let's say five calls in a day, we would make 50. And if a normal people would do 10 demonstrations in a week, we would do 200. And we did that for 15 years and it paid off. And so in, in, in when, you, when you have a high level of activity, calling people, emailing people, going to conferences, I know I'm gonna ask you in just a minute about your activity because I have a feeling it's pretty stinking high. You know, you're, you go to meetups, you go do this, and you're just meeting people. You know, when you do that on a consistent basis um, and you don't give up, great things happen. Did you remember we had the conversation that the uh, Stacy wanted me to talk about my games that I played? Did you remember the yes. games? Yes, yes. Yeah. That's awesome. So I would get in in the morning just for the listeners. I get in the morning when I was a cold caller and this was 25 years ago and I would, every call was worth a point and every demo was worth 10 points. And I had to have 250 points by the end of the week. And if I reached the 250 points, I'd buy myself something. But I had to have 10, co- 10 points before I made a cup of coffee and then 10 points before I drank a cup of coffee. And I did that every day just to keep – I know it sounds stupid. People are going – I can hear them rolling their eyes in <laughs> podcast land. What kind of activity do you do? I know for me – I love going to free events. When I first had the idea for the podcast, I went on, I think it's Eventbrite, and I looked for any of the, because, you know, college students, I went to any of the free or under $10 events, and I just signed up for all of them for, like, the next year, and I put them on my calendar, and then I forget, and I say, okay, I have an event in two hours. What is it? I don't know. I'm going. I'm on the way. I'm seeing who's there. Um, I love to go live on Facebook. So I'll do, I do an internship in Uptown, so I'll take the train. And then while I'm on the train, I'll say, all right, here's my Facebook Live. Um, let me share my train talks. That's what I call it. I love it. <laughs> Sharing some information, um, even to get guests. A lot of people say, well, how do you find these people? And I said, I'll just Google them, and I'll find people who are doing something cool. I'll go to Chamber of Commerce, and, you know, for every 10, you get one which is pretty awesome, but that one knows another. And I met Stacy at another networking event, which was introduced by someone from the podcast, which was introduced by someone else. And that's how I met you. And so it, it starts to add up and it's so cool when you see the results, but the thing that people don't see, right, is those 10, 50, 100 emails or calls a day. That's and they right. assume that, well, I just need to get that one. And it's like, no, if you do 100, you, you have a higher chance of getting closer to that one that you need. That's it. And I got to tell you, you got to come see me in 25 years because I want your life is going to be richly blessed by this. If you keep it up, the, the problem is, is that people think that they work to a certain level. And then when they get to that certain level, then they can just, you know, let off the gas and they don't need to go meet people and they don't get, need to network. You know, I really wish people would view their networks as a financial asset. And if you think about it, and let's just say any financial asset, let's, let's just say a mutual fund, you know, you, you put money into a mutual fund. Well, what do you do with it? How do you cultivate that financial asset? Well, you probably watch the stocks that that fund is made up of. Maybe you get to know the index that that fund is made up of the person who put you in the fund. You're in constant contact with them. 
about how you can improve it, you know? So if you think about all the things that you would do as an asset, like a house, that's another example. What would you do with a house? You know, you, you, you maintain it, you know, you have, um, uh, guarantees on it. You have security that you maybe add a warranty to it. You work on it. You, you improve it, you know, you add to it and in the network A network should be just like any other financial asset. Do you know that every CEO in this country is paid in direct proportion to his or her network? And, and, and the more that they're paid, the more valuable their network is. I always get upset when someone says, why is so-and-so making $60 million a year? How can a person be worth $60 million a year? And the answer is their network. And, and big corporations pay for people's networks because they don't have problems that you can solve by doing a Google search. Their mm -hmm. problems have problems and those problems have problems and those problems have problems. And so you just can't go in and fix a problem. You have to fix all of the stuff. And that requires a network because no human being just is that smart. So they just have to surround themselves with a lot of people. That's incredible. And I agree. And I think it scares a lot of people. Luckily for me, you know, I don't mind. I, <laughs> funny story, after the conference where I met you, I called my folks. I said, hey, I got this guy. He founded Avid. And my dad's a huge entrepreneur guy. So he was, you know, doing research. He said, do you know who this guy is? I was like, yeah, that's why I went to talk to him. They said, well, what did you do? I said, I went and said, hey, I'm Candace. Hey, Chris, yeah. I heard you're awesome. I'd love to have you on the show. And he was like, sure, when do you want to do it? And they're like, you can't just talk to people like that. <laughs> That's not proper. There's a yeah. chain of command and you have That's to right. email and you have to follow up and you know, you have to take months to do these things. And I'm like, no, he was sitting right there. Why would I email him? He's right there. That doesn't make yeah. sense. That's hilarious. We, we should dial your dad in on this call. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. He would freak out, but <laughs> I think that's just, again, one of those differences is that if you would have said, who are you? Go away. Like I've had people email me like, how did you get my contact info? Like who yeah. are you? And it's just yeah. like, okay, cool. I probably wouldn't want to talk to them anyway. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so that's how Our I've always operated. And even when I was younger, my first sale, my parents do a um, vending machine company and they were struggling. And so I did an internship and I said, oh, this would be great. And they, their way that they usually did it was they send a bag of snacks, they send it with the receptionist, they send them some info, they follow up, they hope someone gets back to them. And that was eating up all of their inventory. Mm. And I was like, well, the CEO's office is right there. Like, this is dumb. And so I went in as an intern. I said, hey, we own some vending machines. Here's some snacks. If you're interested, let us know. And then they called the next day and we had a meeting set up. And I said, you can't do that. You're supposed yeah. <laughs> to do something again. I said, well, we got, the, we got the commission. So it's great. You know, uh, so in my class, there's a thing we talk about because we talk a lot about innovation and mm. the thing is called the curse of knowledge. You ever heard, have you ever heard the curse of knowledge? Mm -mm. It's so, okay. So here it is. It's there. There's the curse of knowledge has two parts to it. Part number one is it's a psychological thing. Part number two, it's an economic thing. And the, the output of it is that um, the people that know too much about a particular topic are the least likely to innovate that topic. So if you look at Avid Exchange, you know, we created a, uh, an industry in accounts payable, in accounting. By the way, as a side note, if you want to build a successful company, find something that people hate and automate it because they never want it back. Mm -hmm. we, have, we have a 90, 95% retention, customer retention rate from almost 20 years, which is really good. Um, but um, the people who know the most are the least likely to innovate. And at Avid, 
you know, we started a tech company for real estate accountants and we've branched out of real estate, but we knew nothing about tech, real estate or accounting. And I, I was meeting with a group of accountants this morning and I told them how little we knew in the very beginning when we started this. And they laughed. They couldn't stop laughing about how naive we were about the accounting process. But here's the thing. That's the reason why the company is so successful. Just like you marching in the CEO's office. No one told you you shouldn't do that. And I guarantee if your parents said, no, don't do that, Candace. Whatever you do, don't do that. Then that would be something that would stick with you for the rest of your life. And you would. But I got to tell you, one of the things is that when you don't know something about something and you just kind of go ahead and do it, one of the things they have to do is really listen to your customers. Now, that's trite because everyone says to be, to be successful in business, you have to listen to your customers. But with us, we had to listen to our customers because we knew nothing about it. And that was why the company was so successful is because we built a piece of software that was remarkably flexible. And if it hadn't have been for our lack of knowledge, we never would. We would have built the software the way that we thought the software should be. So not knowing was real important to us. Isn't that great? That's awesome. That makes <laughs> me feel great. <laughs> well, I mean, back to your point, you know, anyone can do this. I mean, that mm -hmm. if you start thinking about it like that, you can go anywhere, really. I'd love that. And for the people listening who are saying, you're making it sound so easy, but I know right. it's not that easy, right? And you guys had, was it three complete failures before getting this idea yeah. that just skyrocketed and, and not just regular failures? I'd love for you to share your subway story in your car. Like, oh, this was an epic failure. <laughs> well, um, uh, this, this, uh, this is where I get all of my humility from is that, so you're talking, so we had in two years, we had three, three pieces of software that people were just not interested in. You know, the software worked, but the ideas were just bad. Um, and, and the, uh, the second time on the second failure, I got my car retuned. That's what you're talking about. And it's a neat, it was a Nissan Altima and there's, and I remember the guy picking it up because there's no, by the way, when you get a Nissan Altima repoed, you're not doing well at all. You know, it's like one of the most affordable cars in the world. And, and my wife and I, you know, the other thing, the backstory to that was um, I was starting to have an exchange. We weren't making any money at all. And um, she um, was a stay at home mom and our child was about a year old. So paint that as a picture, you know, here's the breadwinner just sucking and, you know, in the subway story was, was probably about the lowest that I had, that I had kind of been, um, which was we, we, I went to a subway, it was in Lincolnton to, um, for my wife and I to eat and I got three credit cards declined and I, I had to leave without the food. But I don't know if I told this story on Saturday, but I'd like to tell your listeners, you know, now I can buy as many Subway franchises as I'd like. <laughs> and that, I don't mean that cocky or arrogantly. I want to go back to the idea of a salesperson making a million dollars a year is that anybody that makes that kind of money as a salesperson or as an entrepreneur or anything, it's because that's the benchmark of their value. People just don't pay people a million dollars just because they're great people. They pay people a million dollars because their production is tied to $10 million or $20 million. And so that's why I like being an entrepreneur as a salesperson is that 
I'm able to benchmark my value by how much they'll pay for the software or how much I can earn. And so it's a real clear way without any guessing of how valuable I, I am. And then the long and short of it is the more valuable I am, the more that I serve, you know, and that's kind of the way that I see that. So what do you, have you ever, what, what do you think about Subway? So that's, that's such a, a great story. And Subway is probably embarrassed now. They probably would give you sandwiches for free. Just to uh, have you stop telling that story. I, uh, I, I, I used to eat at Subway. I don't anymore. But I have, I have no animosity towards Subway whatsoever. That would just show how poor I was. And, that's a, and I love that you have such a great sense of humor about it, right? You're very open about it. I think within the first 10 minutes of your talk, you shared that. And again, it goes back to not only you as a businessman, but you as a person, right? You're someone that people genuinely enjoy being well, around. Well, that's nice. And, and I got to tell you my personal, um, you know, I think at the conference they talked about your why and, and, and mine is pretty simple. Is my, my, the whole reason why I exist and my, my mission in life is to make you look good. I want to make I want to make you, Candace, look good. I want to make all of our fourteen hundred employees at Avid Exchange look good. I want to make all thirty of my students look good. I want to make them look good. If I can make people look good, which you know, this has been a I know that sounds martyrish, but if I could simply make people look good, um, you know, have you ever noticed that when you give to someone, what you get back from that? usually seems 10 times what you gave. And uh, I've just been into that. And I've been thinking, I've been thinking a lot about that, especially now that I've achieved a certain amount, you know, um, so my whole mission is just to make people look good. You say something about your wife that, you know, you guys are even going to look good together when you're old. That's right. I, I always tell people that um, if my wife ever leaves me, I'm going with her. <laughs> And um, when, up, when couples get older, they start looking similar. So one day I'm going to be hot. So <laughs> would, would you put a laugh track behind that? Oh, definitely. It? Okay, no, I'm kidding. So we've been together. June will be 27 years. We've been married for 25. Wow. That's a great run. Yep, it's a good run. That's awesome. Consecutively. Yes. <laughs> no breaks. <laughs> no. I used to sell direct mail advertising back in the mid nineties and my territory was Statesville. So we lived in Charlotte and I'd have to drive to Statesville and I used to drive up to Statesville and get homesick. That's how, that's how bad it was. Like I'm just in Statesville, but I miss home. Anyway, I, I want to encourage everyone to connect. Can I do like a little thing? Yeah, you know, definitely. You've already said the Chris Elmore. Every social media handle I have is at the Chris Elmore and would love to connect with people. LinkedIn's good. If you want to see stupid pictures of my kids, that's Facebook. If you want to see random pictures of just random things, that's Instagram. Uh, so either one of those. I'm on Twitter, but I don't do too much. But would love to connect with folks and, and um, uh, we'll just leave it at that. Perfect. Yes. They will go over. You have some books also on your website if they want to yeah. read you in written yeah. form. Yeah. Yeah. i tell you what, when you want to make someone nervous on an airplane, just tell them you wrote a book about accounts payable. <laughs> very nervous. Yes. Final question for the Chris Elmore, co-founder of The Avid Exchange, right? That's right. Yep. One of the fastest growing fintech companies in the world. You That's right. started yep. the industry. That's right. 
What is your one word or one phrase that would describe everything that you stand for and everything that you are? That's an easy one. It's integrity. Now, if you back that up, because if you, if you think about integrity, if you back that up, um, you know, my, my, gra- my great-grandfather ran a store, and when he needed a loan from the bank, he'd go to the bank and he'd get money on a handshake, and he paid it back. And then, of course, my wife counts on my integrity in our relationship. And my kids count on my integrity as a dad. And, uh, you know, our avid exers count on my integrity as a leader of the company and as a business owner. My students count on my integrity um, to learn from me. And so that's, um, that's, that's, one, that's one thing that I hope never to violate. And... Um, you know, people get put in weird situations, and I've never been in a situation where my t- integrity was really um, a challenge. But I hope that if I ever am, I'm going to do the right thing. It's so important to me. So there you go. What do you think? I love it. That's awesome. That's the first of integrity, and it's so important, but it's so needed, especially in a time like this. Yeah, there, it, you know, it has so many ripples, you know, because even if you're in the middle of a sales uh, deal and you have to have the deal and you need the money you could easily set your integrity aside and say you know I could close this thing. I could take this money but if it's not good for the customer that violates your integrity I have a thing that I, I go in and try to find out if it's not going to work for the customer and if it doesn't I tell them and they're always shocked and then you know what they want to do after that they want to work with me more and it's not a technique it's just it's just how important that word is. that's a great question What's yours? Ooh, I like it. Do you have one? I think for me, in all honesty, it's courage, being courageous. I like to say, um, do it scared. That's one of my values for me. And just go for it. One of my mentors said that courage isn't the absence of fear. It's it's going ahead despite. And so people people are always like, well, you know, I'm fearful, so I don't want to do it. Um, uh, did I tell you the number one skill of a, an entrepreneur? To, I don't know if we talked about it on Friday. The entrepreneurs are not risk takers. They're uh, excellent. They're they're excellent at managing uncertainty, and you know, courage and uncertainty they all kind of blend together. The thing, I, the reason I like your word courage is because it's something that you can kind of flex and improve like any other muscle. And when people, when people ask for courage, they don't get courage. They get situations where they need to have courage. You know, it's the same thing. I ask for humility. I don't get humility. I get opportunities to be humble. I almost said humble. <laughs> <laughs> well, Candace, thanks for the time. What do you think? How do yeah. we do? Thank you. That was amazing. Funny as always. So yeah. many great points dropped. And I think... I think this is going to change a lot of people because they will see the word, you know, billion and they will assume one thing. And then when they hear you, they'll say that that could be me or my friend or my dad or my brother. Right. And and that makes it something that's possible for them. Well, it's totally true. And I'm glad you picked up on that because it's absolutely true. There's going to be a future. There's going to be future billion dollar companies in Canada. It might as well be you. That's awesome. Chris, thank you so much for your time and for sharing all of that great wisdom. You bet. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. 
Having Chris on was such a blast and it was refreshing to see how much we had in common, right? A lot of times when we look at people who are entrepreneurs running successful businesses or even just doing things in life that we think are amazing, we tend to think they couldn't be anything like us, that they're so different, right? Especially in a time like today where the media and politics are all trying to tell us how different people are from each other. It's important to realize that we have a lot more in common than you think. I'd love to know your thoughts on the episode. Be sure to connect with Chris on his social media or visit his company's page at www.avidexchange.com or connect with me as well on Instagram and Facebook at Mental Cement and also my personal page on Facebook, Candace Kelly. Thanks for listening. As always, keep building that mental cement.